Well, good morning. Glad you all are here. Why don't you grab a Bible? Uh, if you don't have your own, there should be a Bible scattered in the pew backs in front of you. And uh, if you want to turn, well, for starters, to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, we'll sort of be in numerous texts this morning as we continue on in our summer sermon series, Ask the Pastor, yet another uh, very good question from one of you. So we'll begin in Jeremiah. We'll make our way into the book of Genesis. We'll be in the book of Isaiah. So if you just want to find your place there, you can follow on the screen behind me as well. Uh, So again, another great question this morning. Look forward to answering that and then sharing communion uh, with all of you together as we remember what Christ has done for us. Um, His his body was broken and his blood was spilt. And so uh, welcome to grace. Let's pray one more time and we'll dive into it, if you will. Father, thank you for the morning. We pray now that you would speak clearly to us through your word on a question that is both uh, sensitive and, and pertinent and very applicable. Lord, we want to know what you have to say on this matter. And so I pray that you would guard my lips, that the things that I would say would be honoring to you, that they would be accurate and faithful to your word. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would encourage us uh, through this word today. And then, Father, as we prepare our hearts even now, to come to the table uh, just to ponder the significance of the cross and Christ's sacrifice for us and all that that has obtained and purchased for us who place our faith in him and in him alone. We anticipate uh, celebrating this and glorifying your son as we share communion together. And it's in his name that we ask it, the name of Jesus. God's people said, amen. Well, uh, author and pastor... Uh, Randy Alcorn. He is the founder of Eternal Perspectives Ministries. Uh, He's written a very lengthy book on the subject matter of eternity and and heaven. In fact, it's simply called Heaven. It's a a big book, but a a wonderful book. He uh, has created a list of the most frequently asked questions that he receives on the subject matter of heaven. So I want to read just a few of those, see if maybe they're questions that you have pondered as well. One of the questions he said that comes regularly is, is, is heaven a realm uh, of disembodied spirits? Or, or will we have some sort of body, some sort of physical body and physical place where we will live? Another question he says people ask is, won't it get boring? I don't think it will get boring. What will we do there? Will we work? Will we rest? Will we play? Another common question is, will we remember our former lives here on earth? Will we recognize friends and family members that have gone before us? He asks, um, will will there be culture? In other words, will people uh, perform art in heaven? Will, Will there be music concerts? What about sports for all your sports enthusiasts? I'm sure you want to know that. What about technology and entertainment? And of course, the one that is always mentioned, which in a later sermon we'll get to, Will there be animals in heaven, right? Will my pet be with me in heaven? Will we have our own places to live? Do do people in heaven know what's presently going on on the earth? And there are many, many questions that go so on and so forth. And included in this list of very good questions uh, was was this question that he posed that people often ask. Do, Do babies who die go to heaven? Will they remain babies in heaven, or will they be grown up, if you will? And that is essentially one of the questions that one of you asked of me. And so our question stated this morning is, is very simple. Do babies grow up in heaven, was the question that was posed. Um, like you, most likely, my heart is, is heavy 
when I hear questions like this. Because, friends, questions like this don't simply arise from a curious mind, right? Or from the reading of a simple theology textbook. No, questions like this arise from very real and very challenging and very painful life circumstances from from Christians who who have genuine questions about their son or their daughter or about their baby brother or or baby sister these these are questions that that stem from from the heartache of of a miscarriage or or from the un- unthinkable loss of a stillborn infant or the unexplainable death of a toddler I'm sure that many of you have experienced such a loss as certainly Shelley and I have as well. And so my prayer for this question is that I can demonstrate pastoral sensitivity and compassion and all the while explore the depths of the Word of God together as we explore this question. And so the question was posed to us, do babies grow up in heaven? I, I think really there are two questions Inherent in this one question, and so that's how we'll tackle this question together. Question number one really is, uh, do babies go to heaven? And then question number two is, do babies grow in heaven, if you will? Or, or do they remain infants, or do they grow, or do they instantaneously become adults? Sort of two questions in one, and, and the second question sort of assumes the, the first, right? That, that babies do go. So let's tackle this question together. Question number one, do babies, infants, children, we can say, who die, do they go to heaven? Well, my simple and short answer is unequivocally yes, they do. But more importantly than my answer is, well, what does the Bible have to say on that subject matter? I think there are two um, compelling biblical reasons why the answer to this question is yes. And the first is this. Because the Bible speaks in at least two places, a few more, I believe, as well, of a child's innocence. And I sort of put that in quotation marks because I'll explain what I mean by innocence here shortly. But the Bible often speaks of a child's innocence, that is, their lack of moral understanding, their, their lack of moral awareness, and therefore their lack of moral culpability. When this question is brought up, you often hear the term, uh, the age of accountability, right? This, this term is often thrown out there. Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a biblical idea, and, and we see it in the scriptures. But, but to be clear, it's, it's not a term that we, we find in the Bible. You, you weren't, we, if you read the scriptures, you won't hear the phrase age of accountability come out. And yet, I think it, it is used by Christians to describe a truth that we see in, in the scriptures, sort of like the word Trinity. Uh, the word Trinity never sh- appears within the scriptures, and yet for uh, millennia, Christians have used the word Trinity to describe what we see here in the scriptures. I, I personally prefer to use the word uh, uh, conditions of, of accountability as opposed to age of accountability. I think that there is an exact age that applies universally to every person or child. But, but I think that the Bible describes, in the verses we'll see in just a moment, a, a condition or a state that a, a child or, or a person comes to 
when they know the difference essentially between right and wrong, when they understand sin and righteousness, judgment and forgiveness, and there is a a mental capability of understanding the fundamental truths that correspond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, It's when a person can understand that God exists and that he is holy and that he has created laws for us to live by, but that we have, well, we have not met those laws. That sin is breaking those laws, and that forgiveness and reconciliation is made available through Jesus Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection, and that this is received as a gift when we trust in Jesus Christ alone. And friends, I think we all can agree that an unborn baby or, or, or infant certainly can't come these truths. They can't understand that. An infant or a toddler, in some cases very young, or maybe even older children can't comprehend that. And in some cases, certain people will will never be able to comprehend these truths because of uh, some mental uh, disability. And so, friends, accountability, as we look to the scriptures here, is not about a calendar, but, but it is about a condition that only God knows the moment when we come to meet that condition. And so the evidence then points, I think, biblically speaking, that there is a a, a point in time, there is a a place when a person uh, goes from being unaccountable to accountable. If you will, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 19, where we'll look at our first text this morning. Jeremiah chapter 19. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 7. Just, just a little context here in the book of Jeremiah. God is, is, is announce, denouncing, excuse me, his, his covenant people, the, the Jewish people, because they were committing uh, horrendous acts in the worship of a pagan idol by the name of Baal. See, what God's people were doing, as hard as it is to imagine, is they were taking their young children and they were murdering them in the worship of this foreign deity. Notice how God refers to these children in these verses. We'll start in verse 4. God says, For they have forsaken me and made this place, uh, made this place a place of foreign gods. They have burned incense in its, in it to gods that neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. And so for our purposes here as we answer this question, notice how God refers to these these children, these infants. He, He uses a term that the NIV translates as innocent. Now, just, just to be clear here, we have to answer the question, well, what does God mean when, when he refers to these children? And I think by application, all children. Well, what does he mean when he says they are innocent? Well, I don't think it means that they're sinless. If you have children, well, then you know that they're not sinless, right? It doesn't mean that they're somehow unstained from the fall or, or that they don't bear the guilt of Adam's sin. No, uh, we are sinners, the Bible says, from conception, and birth, and and that our nature as human beings are bent inward towards sin. We inevitably will sin, even at a very early age. So what does the text mean here? I think the text indicates that they are not morally accountable to God yet, these 
innocent children. If you will, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, because there in Deuteronomy we see a a very similar reference to what we see in Jeremiah chapter 19. We have the reference of children as as innocent. I, I take it to mean they're not morally culpable yet. They're not morally accountable yet. We see something very similar happening in the book of uh, in the book of Genesis, and so excuse me, Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter one, to be specific, let me just set the scene. God's people stood on the borders of the promised land. Right, God had given them the land. He told them to occupy the land, but in Deuteronomy one, they refused to go in. Right, they rebel against God, and so Moses addresses the people, and he says to them that they, along with himself will not be able to enter the promised land because of their sin and rebellion. Now notice, particularly in this passage, how God describes the children of these adult people who are refusing to go into the promised land. These children would eventually go into the promised land when they are grown. Notice the language. We'll start in verse 37. Because of you, Moses writes, the Lord became angry with me also and said, You shall not enter it either, referring to the promised land. But your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive. Your children, and notice the phraseology here, who do not yet know good from bad. They will enter the land, and I will give it to them. And they will take possession of it. Again, notice the phrase, right? He refers to these children. Uh, they aren't morally accountable yet, right? The older generation will, will die. They will wander for 40 years. And this generation will, will enter into the promised land. And he describes these children as, as yet knowing good from bad. I, I take that to mean a, a state, a, a condition of moral accountability has not yet been reached by these children. And so this is reason number one, I think, why children, infants, who die, that they will be in the very presence of God. Dr. John MacArthur, a well-known pastor and writer, prolific teacher, has written a wonderful little book. In fact, I have it in my office. And if you're interested in the subject matter, I highly recommend it to you. It's called Safe in the Arms of God, a little book on the subject matter that I have found extremely helpful. He writes in that book, and I quote, In no place does Scripture teach infant damnation. Rather, every biblical reference whether oblique or direct, to the issue of infants and children who die gives us reason to believe they go immediately to the eternal presence of God. I cannot help but conclude, he writes, that our Lord graciously and freely receives all who die in infancy, not on the basis of their innocence or their worthiness, but by His grace, made theirs through the atonement that he purchased on the cross. Yes, he writes, all children who die before they reach a state of moral awareness and culpability in which they understand their sin and corruption are graciously saved eternally by God through the work of Jesus Christ. And I think that he is absolutely right. But there is a second reason other than the uh, age or condition of of accountability. And it's because we might have an illustration or a biblical example where an infant who who died uh, is said to go into the presence of God. And so now, if you will, turn with me to 2 Samuel 
turn to the right of your Bible if you're in uh, Deuteronomy, and you will find uh, the Chronicles, and then you will find the Samuels. Turn with me to 2 Samuel, if you will. 2 Samuel. And we will be taking a look at uh, chapter 12, verses 22 through 23. Uh, many people in seeking to answer this question of, of the fate of children and infants turn to this story found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. There we see a very well-known story of, of King David and his uh, adulterous affair with Bathsheba. It's more of a rape, to be honest. And there's a child that is conceived, and that child is born. And uh, David has... Uh, this comment that he makes upon the death of that infant. And so we'll pick it up in verse 22. Speaking of David, he answered, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? And then here's the phrase that is key. David says, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And so the question then becomes is, what does David mean when he says, I will go to the child, but, but the child will not return to me? Well, it's, it's fairly easy to understand what, what he means when he says, the child will not return to me. The, the child um, will not return back to life, David says. But, but what does he mean here? Well, there are two really viable possibilities, I, I think. Uh, one, David could simply be affirming that the child won't come back to life, and that's why he's going to stop fasting, and that someday David would join him in death. One day David would essentially join him in the grave. So that he says, I will go to him. It's an acknowledgement that, yes, I too, like he, will share the same fate. I, 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 will, I, will, I will die. I will go to the grave. Um, that's a very legitimate possibility. But, but many people say, well, no, there's more to it than that. Many, many commentators suggest that, well, what David is essentially saying is that he knows where that baby is at that moment. And that while the baby's body is in the grave, the baby's soul or spirit is in heaven with God. And David is affirming the fact that he is a follower of God. That he will someday too join that baby in heaven. Um, I think... The arguments for both are, are, are very good, so I can't be dogmatic. But I think that it gives us, uh, in addition to the other evidence that we have on this particular subject matter, that the evidence is, is so strong in favor of the fact that, yes, when children, infants die before this age, that they will be immediately in the presence of God. And so then let's turn now to the real question that was posed. We had to answer the first question in order to get to the second and so the real question that was posed uh, read this way. Do babies grow in heaven? Is there, is there growth in heaven? And so unlike the prior question, the Bible, in my humble opinion, seems to be more silent on the state of an infant or, or, or children in heaven. I see at least two viable options, and so I'll lay those out for you. Number one is that babies will be mature adults. That is, when they die and they go into the presence of God our Father, that they will instantaneously become sort of mature adults, if you will. And the second option, as you can probably guess, is that babies essentially will become mature adults. That is, there are, there's a stage or a season of growth for 
infants to become uh, mature adults. Uh, In both views, they ultimately end up in maturity or adulthood. And I just want to be clear here. I think both are very biblically non-contrary, right? I think they're, they're allowable. Uh, neither of these options are at odds with scriptures. We, we are simply in the realm of speculation here. There, there is not, in my opinion, overwhelming evidence to answer this question. But, but I think we get some scriptures that at least give us uh, some ideas, some, some hints. And so, so if you'll allow me to, to, to work through these two possibilities and, and uh, uh, bring some scriptures to your hearts and to your minds and then allow you to chew on those and, and allow you to answer this question on your own. Do, do babies grow in heaven? Well, the first possibility is that, is that babies will be mature adults. The first view is that when children die, they instantaneously become mature adults. One observation that could support this notion is that, as far as I'm concerned, any time that I remember people uh, who have died that are described as being in heaven, right? So we we, we think of passages, uh, many of them in Revelation, for instance. When we see passages of people that have died and and are portrayed as being in heaven... um, I can't recall a time when those people aren't portrayed as adults. I can't think of a time when those people don't have at least adult characteristics, if you will, right? They, they, they have de- developed thought and they can sing and they can worship and they can bow down and, and they seem to sort of have adult characteristics. And, and so just one example, the book of Revelation, verse 7 excuse me, chapter 7, verse 10, we see this picture of the saints, Christians, in heaven. And uh, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so we see in, in places like this that people in heaven seem to be doing, well, sort of mature type things, things that infants, well, just simply cannot do, at least in our earthly experience. This is an argument from silence, and so take it for what it's worth. Uh, Maybe a more intriguing passage is 1 John chapter 3. So this is worth going. 1 John chapter 3, turn pretty much all the way to the end of your Bible. You'll uh, make it through the epistles, you'll hit the book of of Hebrews, and then you'll find 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. I think we see a very pertinent text here as we ponder uh, this particular question. 1 John chapter 3. And we'll take a look at verse 2. John writes this. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But, he writes, but we know that when Christ appears, he's, he's referring to the, the second coming of Christ. But when Christ appears, we shall be like him. And that's our key phrase. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so here John is writing to the local church. And he essentially says that, friends, we know that now, in our present state, as Christians, we are children of God. And he says, but, but our future, our eternal state, has not yet been fully revealed. He says, however, one of the things that we do know about our eternal state, he says, when Jesus appears, when he returns to earth, something that we can bank on. And he says, it's this, we shall be like him. 
So the question is, what does John mean when he says that we shall be like Jesus, right? In the eternal state, at the resurrection of the dead, we shall be like him. Does John mean that we will be like Jesus spiritually speaking? That is, we will be without sin, to sin nevermore. That, that our character will be refined into the character of Christ. Or does he mean that, that at the coming of Christ, which is associated in the Bible with the resurrection of the dead, that we will be like Jesus physically? That is, that we will be like his resurrected body. And we know much about Christ's resurrected body, do we not? Just look at the Gospels and Acts chapter 1, and we see some things about Christ's physical body. Or, or, or could he mean both? I think that he could mean both, because I think both will be true. But if there is a physical aspect of our becoming like Jesus, then it could imply or suggest that our eternal state, which will begin at the moment of our resurrection uh, in this context, and that at that point we will have mature adult bodies, because that's the type of body that Jesus had. And so from this line of thinking... Uh, interestingly enough, when you look at church history, uh, many theologians and pastors have sort of gone this route and they've taken it a step further. And they essentially have suggested, well, that Jesus was uh, killed and was resurrected well from the age 30 to 33, roughly, depending upon chronology. And so when we are in our eternal state, that we will share that. In fact, Alistair McGrath, in his book, A, A, A Brief History of Heaven, writes this. He says, by the late 13th century, the church's emerging consensus was this. As each person reaches their peak perfection around the age 30, they will be resurrected as they would have appeared at that time, even if they never lived to reach that age. It's an interesting thought, is it not? Um, one, uh, one commentator, is, his name is Hank Hanegraaff. You may know him or be familiar with him as the Bible answer man, Hank Hanegraaff. Well, he writes this. He, he says, quote, our, our DNA is programmed in such a way that at a, at a particular point, we reach optimal development from a functional perspective. He says, for the most part, it appears that we reach this stage somewhere in our 20s and 30s. Uh, well beyond, I, I'm not there, right? I'm beyond that. I don't know about you, but I'm beyond that point. If the blueprint of our glorified bodies are in the DNA, then it would stand to reason that our bodies will be resurrected at the optimal stage of development determined by our DNA. So along this line of of thought says uh, infants, when they are in heaven, that they will instantly be turned into the state that they will exist forever as mature adults. But but there's a second um, thought here, and it's, it's an intriguing thing to really ponder, and it's the idea that babies, well... Yes, they will, they will grow, if you will. They will grow. They will become mature adults in heaven. So the second view is that upon the resurrection of the dead, that babies or children, or children who, who die will be raised at the age or the stage of development at which they died. Again, Randy Alcorn, I've, I've referenced his massive book entitled Heaven. He cites Isaiah chapter 11, verse 8. So you can turn there if you'd like. I know we're going back and forth. Isaiah is back in the Old Testament, pretty much right in the middle of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 11, we find a, a description of... Uh, of the new heavens and the, and the new earth. We, it, it's a portrait of eternity, if you will. And we see some amazing things described. It's portrayed as, as a period of peace and prosperity and health and sinlessness. 
particular in verse 8. In verse 8, we see that infants or, or children are mentioned as existing in this state, in this time period, if you will. So verse 8, the infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Friends, does that describe how our world is today? No, absolutely not, right? But it describes a world that will someday be upon the return of Christ. It's, it's a time period of peace, so much so that even the human world and the animal world, there will be no animosity, there will be no violence. But Alcorn suggests that, listen, um, infants and children are, being de- are described here as being infants and children in the eternal state. Um, and he has a pretty good point. In fact, he writes in his book, and I quote, Is it possible that children, after they're resurrected on the new earth, will be at the same level of development as when they died? If so, these children would presumably be allowed to grow up on the new earth, a childhood that would be enviable, to say the least. He continues to write, Believing parents, then, would presumably be able to see their children grow up and likely have a major role in their lives as they do so. Although it's not directly stated, and I'm therefore speculating, he writes, it's possible that parents whose hearts were broken through the death of their children will not only be reunited with them, but will also experience the joy of seeing them grow up in a perfect world. What a great picture that is, isn't it? I can't tell you if that's true or not, because I don't I think the scriptures are not clear. But one thing I think the scriptures are clear on is that when we uh, enter into heaven, those of us who trust in Christ, that we will see children, infants, those who died too soon, that we will see them. In, in, a, in, a, in an interview that Dr. John MacArthur uh, gave with Larry King on CNN after the horrific 9-11 attacks Larry King asked the pastor about the souls of the children that died in that horrific tragedy. And Dr. MacArthur replied very firmly and very quickly with two words, instant heaven. And Dr. King tried to sort of prod a little bit as as he should and he, he made a comment like, well, children are sinners too, right? And he wanted further explanation. And at that, MacArthur was really not phased, although it's a valid question. And he simply replied again, instant heaven. And friends, I think that's what the Bible teaches. Regardless of how you answer the second question, I think the first question is pretty clear, instant heaven. And so let me bring this home for us as we prepare to partake in communion. To bring it home for all of us who are here in this room, or most of us who are here in this room. For infants, I do believe that the answer is instant heaven. But friends, most of us here, most of us in this room, have reached the place where we are accountable before God. Most of us in this room are at that place. We know good from bad, to quote the scriptures. And so the answer to what happens when we die is not um, one, but two possibilities. It is instant heaven... Or instant hell, right? There are two possibilities, instant heaven or instant hell, and there is no third option. 
And friends, the answer depends on what you have done with Jesus Christ and His gospel. The answer depends on if you have come to the place where you have repented from your sin and your rebellious heart and your sinful choices, and you have recognized that your sin both deserves physical death, which we all will endure, and spiritual death, eternal death, away from God. Have we turned to the place of trust in Jesus Christ alone, that we could not be good enough, that we could not merit our eternal place, but that we have trusted in what Christ has done and what Christ has done alone. He, has, he, he lived the perfect life that you and I desperately needed to be right with God and could not live. He died taking our place, bearing our sins, the wrath of God that we deserved. And he rose again and went into heaven and said, if you trust in me, you'll come along. And so friends, that is what we have to believe in. And if that is your answer today, then you are welcome to come to the table. And if that is your answer today, then friends, uh, the, the answer for you is the same as for an infant. It is instant heaven. But if you have not, that is not your answer, friends. But it can be. It can be as you leave this room today, if you repent and trust in Jesus Christ alone. So I'm going to pray. And if that's you, you can pray along with me. And then we'll enter into a time of, of reflection and rejoicing and prayer and introspection as we prepare uh, for those of us who have trusted in Christ to come, to come to the table, to be reminded with the bread that as the bread was broken, Christ's body was broken for our sins. And as, as, the, uh, as this juice is, is, is reddish, we're reminded that Christ's blood was spilled. Uh, for our sins, and we rejoice in that. So would you pray with me now as we prepare? Father, I pray for a man or a woman, a young boy or a young girl, that they would now come, and if they have not placed their faith in Jesus alone, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus alone, that you would do so even now, that you would turn to him, that you would tell him that you are a sinner, and that you repent of trusting in yourself and your sin, and you want to receive Jesus as your Savior because he was perfect, though you are not. And he died uh, for your sins that you deserved, and that he rose again, and that you believe that, and that alone. And if you've done that, my friends, then come talk to me, and come to the table. And for those of us who have, Father, be well pleased uh, by our coming to the table as we are reminded afresh of this gospel, this glorious gospel of grace by which anyone can be saved. And those who believe in Christ are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Why don't you take a moment to pray and to reflect. The music will begin and come to the table as you are ready.